Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Uh, just a, a fair warning, I'm used to like kind of pacing back and forth, but I am bound to a four foot box right here. So they're going to be watching real carefully for when I like fall off the platform or something like that. Uh, this is a new environment and we're just thrilled to be a part of your weekend. It really is a deep, deep privilege. We're in a series called How to Live with Other Human Beings and Not Lose Your Mind. I love that title because it's recognizing that as imperfect people, living with other imperfect people, there are going to be times where we have collisions, where there's misunderstandings, where there's hurt feelings, and it's really not a matter of if it happens, it's a matter of when it happens. And that's true on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a yearly basis. So it's important that as we live with other human beings, if we're not going to lose our mind, we have to step into something called forgiveness. And that's what we've been spending these span of weeks in this series talking about that topic. We discussed forgiveness and that if we're going to step into it, there's really kind of three foundation stones that just important to keep in mind. And the first foundation stone is this, is that forgiveness isn't an event as much as it is a habit. We'd like to say, hey, we forgive and we forget, but we're human beings. We can't forget. And so it's going to come back into our mind when someone does something that hurts us, that wronged us. We're going to have to choose to forgive them over and over again. And we're going to have to choose more the deeper the wound. So if you do something, you know, like bump into me and I spill some coffee, that's sorry, we can get over that pretty quickly. It's a once and done kind of situation. But if you wrong, uh, you know, either of those two lovely ladies up here that are very important in my life, right now I'm gonna have to choose to forgive you again when my daughter is bawling her eyes out at night. It's a habit more than it's a singular event. The second thing that we said is that forgiveness is an act of the will. It's not an impulse of the emotion. It's an act of the will. So this whole thing has been built off of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31. This is what Paul says to these Ephesians Christians. He, he says, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul says, get rid of it. This isn't a, uh, a you know, when you feel like it. You're all of a sudden going to be overwhelmed by these emotions where you just want to forgive the other person. No, he says, get rid of it. Everything in our bodies, everything in culture says, hey, if you've sinned against me, if you've hurt me, I'm justified in being angry with you, and so I'm justified in holding on to resentment and refusing to forgive somebody. But Paul would say, no, you make the choice to get rid of that, get rid of that bitterness. And that's really actually super helpful for us because what it means is that we're not simply subject to whatever emotion we may or may not have at that point in time. We actually have agency. We actually have the ability to choose that. It's a conscious thing. So we don't have to be blown around by how we do or, or don't feel. So it's not an impulse of the emotion. It's an act of the will. The third foundation stone is that forgiveness is not a, really about your relationship with another person as much as it's about your relationship with God. 
because I can't control what someone else does. I can't control what happens to me. It's really more about how I interpret what happens to me. And fundamentally, we said that our ability to forgive other people really comes from the enormity of our own need for forgiveness. This is what Paul says. He says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And when someone steps into self-awareness, you start to realize, like, I'm a royal screw-up. I have said more unkind things. I have done more unkind things. I've offended people, and I've needed grace, and I've needed mercy from other people. And fundamentally, I don't just need it from other people, but I need it from God because I've offended him. I'm an enemy of him when I'm in my own sin. I, I, I speak things that aren't true about him. I take him for granted. I don't really believe him for, his, for what he says he can do. And yet he chose to forgive me through what Christ has done. And so if that's true, how can I turn around and look at other people and say, you know what, they have sinned worse than I have, and I'm going to hold them to it, and, and, and I'm going to make sure that I, 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 I hold them against that. And so as we grasp the need that we have for Jesus' forgiveness, that then, when he offers it to us, we get to say, oh my goodness, with all that I've been forgiven of, I know what it feels like to need forgiveness and to need mercy, to need grace. And when someone else needs that from me, I am more inclined to give it to them. And so it gets rid of like this self-righteousness. Well, I would never. Yeah, I would, and I have, and I probably will again, and I need mercy as much as they do. So that's the third foundation stone. As we've been talking about forgiveness, I actually think it's really, really helpful to understand this in terms of layers of hurt. And, and so we have a, a graphic that kind of represents this. On the outside of that is the little stuff. Tiny things that happen to us every day, you know, they like someone left the light on in the room or didn't close the door. Uh, it, it, little things that can easily be dismissed. Now the good news is it's the easiest thing to deal with where we can choose to forgive somebody. So we said that I, a couple weeks ago I gave everyone a Lego. That's what this is, a Lego. And we would say that we can choose to compile all these Legos and carry them around with us every time or we can choose to let go of my Lego. And so this was actually in my pants this morning because I wore these last two weeks ago. And so I went, hey, how about that? There's my Lego. I got to choose to let go of my Lego. It's the thing that we're going to run up against the most often. But it's also the easiest thing to kind of get rid of. So that's the... That's that stuff. And then on the inner core are life-changing injustices. Life-changing injustices. These are huge things. Abandonment. Things that abuse, that, that change the course of your life. And when something like that enters our life, it's, it's only going to happen once or twice. You know, a drunk driver kills someone that you love. It's this accident that happens to you because of someone else's negligence. It's maybe a spouse that has been unfaithful and they've, they've lied to us and we uncover that. And now we're trying to figure out like what my life is even about and things have dra dra drastically changed. Those are life-changing injustices. But there's a middle layer. The middle layer, that's what we're going to talk about today, and it's legitimate hurt. It's not something that's so shallow that you can just, like, blow it off, but it also doesn't change the course of your life. On a physical level, this would be something that's a genuine wound, like you have legitimately hurt yourself, and if you don't take care of it, it's actually going to impact your future. You might end up having a limp. You may not be able to function with that limb if you don't deal with this wound that's actually happened. 
but it's not so life-altering that it's going to take my life away. But if I'm not careful, it's going to sting. It's going to hurt me. It's going to affect my future. So that would look like things like I have a friend and I really trusted them and I, I was vulnerable with them and I shared something in confidence with them. And I thought they were trustworthy, but then they went and they shared it with somebody else. And so that is a wound. It legitimately hurts. And now I don't know how to move forward with that relationship. It's a friend that maybe has lied to me. It's someone who has slandered or gossiped about me. It's a legitimate hurt. It's someone that you're in business with and they've taken advantage of you and they've, they've financially hurt you. And now that relationship is severed and broken. These are legitimate wounds. And isn't it true that when we experience things like that, that all of a sudden when we think about that person in our mind, now there's some distance there's some dissonance in that relationship with them. There's some tension that exists in the middle of, of all of that. And it can happen from a simple word or a phrase. This is the category of legitimate hurts. The thing is, when we have those things happen, these are the kinds of things that when they happen in the moment, you may not even absorb the full weight of it, but later as the day goes on, you're thinking about it more and more, and you're like, hey, that actually really hurt me, and now you go to bed, and it's playing over and over in your head, and it's just like, it's like it's in a, a dryer, and it's just tumbling over and over. Anyone ever have that happen when you're trying to sleep, and you're just thinking about it over and over again, and your, your mind is wrestling in ways to cope with this. What category do I put this in? How do I deal with this. I can't simply dismiss it. It's a legitimate wound. There's a couple ways that I've seen I've dealt with this and I've seen other people have dealt with this as well. On one end are, are those people who would look at that kind of hurt and they would dismiss it. They would pretend it. They, they would pretend it's not there. They would deny it ever happened. We almost treat it like it's something small. And instead of being honest about the fact that we've been wounded, see that would take us, make us be vulnerable. We would say things like, I'm not that close to them anyway. They don't, they don't matter. It's not that big of a deal. And we would dismiss it. We snuff it off. We pretend that it doesn't offend us as deeply as it does. And I, I think that happens for a couple of reasons why people would dismiss it. I think it's primarily because people just don't like conflict. All right, raise your hand if you don't like conflict. All right, raise your hand if you do like conflict. Stay away from that person. Don't, don't, don't you know, we don't like those people, all right? Nobody likes conflict. I've never met a single person that says, you know, I really, whenever I see conflict, mm, I love that. I'm going to head right in. Nobody does that. So we're afraid of conflict. We stay away from it. But I think there's another reason why this happens, especially within like Christian people, like church people. We would say things like, man, I know that I shouldn't have been hurt by that because it was really my pride that was hurt. And so we do something called spiritual bypassing. I, I don't really want to confess that I have an ego problem. I don't really want to confess that I have pride because I'm not supposed to have pride. So I won't actually name it. I won't actually bring it to the surface. It embarrasses us, and so we bypass it. Guys, like, I fall into this all the time. Like, I, as a pastor, I'm like, I shouldn't be offended by the words that this person said. I, I shouldn't think of myself more highly than I ought, and so I dismiss it. And so there's this growing gap between what I say I feel and what I'm really experiencing on the inside. On the inside, I'm frustrated, I'm hurt, I'm like stewing, I'm brewing. I'm like, why would they say that to me? Don't they know I'm a big deal? And on the outside, I'm like, oh, hi, well, welcome to church, right? There's this disconnect between what I present and what I'm actually feeling on the inside when we dismiss our hurts that way. 
The reason I think this is a, a bad idea is because as humans, remember, we can't forget things. And when we dismiss it, when it's, there's like this disconnect between what I'm presenting and what I'm actually like feeling on the inside, that festers. It's the wound that started to just kind of get gangrenous. It's getting infected. It's getting gross. And so that turns into this place of bitterness. And guys, bitterness will kill a relationship. It will kill your marriage. It will kill your family. It's like a cancer. And if you've ever spent time with a bitter person, like it started with this one thing, like, hey, mom did this to me 20 years ago, and then it's built and it's resonated and it's replicated, and now it's this reality in their life, and now they're cynical, they're resentful of not just that, but like multiple things in their lives. And so bitterness has this real power in your life to create cascading levels of hurt and dysfunction if you don't deal with it. Another way to cope with it, we can dismiss it, but we can also be defined by it. This is the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm not ignoring it. I'm not dismissing it. I am taking it in so deeply that this pain is now defining me. And I've become a victim because of it. And it's the reason that I'm not functioning in life. The reason that I dropped out of school or out of this sports team is because of this thing that's happened to me. And it's become a part of my identity. And we'll say things, well, I can't ever trust a woman. I can't ever trust another man. Like we, we don't only define ourselves, we start to define other people. I can never trust a person that lives in that area of town. I can never trust a person that drives that kind of car. We don't only define ourselves, we define other people by that. Which, by the way, that's the dominant, like the growing dominant cultural position around us. That we define ourselves by our level of victimhood. And it's only those that have been oppressed that can possibly stand on the higher moral ground. And they start to define themselves as a victim. And it only rewards those people who define themselves by legitimate wounds and are never able to move past them. But in either case, listen, it leads you at a place of bitterness. And it leads you at a place where you're starting to retract from relationships. And I can't possibly open my heart again to that person because it just hurt too much. I'm so grateful that God gave us another out. It's not dismissing it. It's not being defined by it. That Jesus gave us another avenue. And that is to deal with our legitimate hurts. To face it head on and to move towards it. Now, friends, listen, this, what we're going to talk about here for the next 15 minutes is some of the hardest work I've ever had to do in my life in ministry. This is some of the hardest stuff I've ever had to ask someone else to walk into. It's this work of forgiveness. It's this work of vulnerability. It's looking at a broken relationship and not walking away from it, but moving towards it. It's not being defined by it. It's not dismissing it, but it's actually dealing with it in such a way that you can move forward in health. And so I want to look at a passage that Jesus gives us the rails that we get to walk on as far as this goes here. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 18. This is page 671 in the orange Bibles that are now in, on the rack in front of you rather than under your chair. That's lovely. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 16 page 671. And I just want to say, if you don't own a Bible, please take one of these orange ones. We've got plenty. We love to give these away. We want people to have God's word with them at home as well. And here's what's happening. Jesus is talking to his disciples, his followers, and he says to them, the world will know you're my disciples 
not by how religious you are, not by how like how you dress or like whether you do communion and religious kind of stuff. He says, you're going to know, they're going to know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. So that's why Jesus cares so much when there's conflict amongst his followers. He's primarily speaking to Christians in the room. But I also want you to know that if you're not a Christ follower yet, if you're like, I'm thinking about it, but I just don't know, you know, if you're, if you're not in that camp yet, I want you to know that you should follow after the teachings of Jesus because it will make life better and make you better at life. And you're going to see the wisdom in what Jesus puts forward here. This is what he says in Matthew 18. Jesus says this. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. And so I want to look at the first principle in this passage, and it's this, that I go, I go, it sounds about as counterintuitive as it gets, but Jesus says when someone has hurt you and someone wounds you, what I'm asking you to do is not to dismiss it, not to be defined by it. It's not to pretend that it didn't happen. It's not a big deal. You don't run from it. You don't sit and wait for your offender to come to their senses and finally come apologize to you. That's not what you do. He says, I want you to be the bigger person and I want you to be the person that goes to them in order to reconcile it. But I think there's a really important word that Jesus says here. He says, if your brother or sister sins, in other words, it's not a preference issue. It's not they bought a blue car when they should have bought a gray car. It's, it's not they parked in my parking space, right? It's not a preference issue. It's a, a sin issue, a relational hurt that's taken place. He says, I want you to be the one that cares enough about the relationship that you would go. And here's why. Because in any relationship, there's our expectation of someone else, and then there's our experience of what actually happens. I would expect from you that if we're in a friendship, that if I share something with you in confidence, that you would keep that confidence. But then there's my experience of, I found out you told someone else about this thing that I told you about in confidence. And now there's a gap between my expectation and my experience, and we are uncomfortable with the gaps. And so we begin to fill that with something that we assume to be true about the other individual. We start interpreting them. And so we fill it with things like, man, they just were waiting for a piece of juicy gossip that they could spread with someone else. They really don't care about me. They think they're better than me. And we start to, they, they hate me. They think my breath stinks and I'm a dweeb, right? We start to fill that space with some assumption, some interpretation. And the problem is when you're interpreting someone, you're most likely wrong. You're most likely wrong. And the longer it goes, the more you start to fill in those gaps, the more you're up late at night and you're thinking about it and you're like, well, they just, and it just, just tumbles and stirs inside of you and bitterness and resentment grows. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And listen, don't give the devil a foothold. A foothold. I want you to think about that, that word picture for a moment. I've got three beautiful children. They're all up on the platform today. When they were really little and I'd come home from work, they would womp on me as soon as I came in through the door. Daddy, 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 daddy. And they would come as I was walking through the kitchen and they would hang on to my shins. And I'd drag them across the linoleum and they thought it was so much fun and it was cute and it was lovely. You know, I'm trying not to hurt them, you know. 
But then they grew and they got bigger. And all of a sudden, they're not three, four, or five anymore. Now they're seven, eight, nine, ten. Now they're as big as this dude right here. You know, if he were to hang on to my shins, all of a sudden I would be like, Hey, that's really cute, um, but I'm a big, big daddy, and I don't want to fall down on you and hurt you. That's what a foothold does. It keeps you from moving forward. It hurts you. It hurts other people. And when we let things simmer and stew and fester, it becomes a foothold. And the longer we wait, the more we start assuming the wrong thing about the other person. And it becomes a, a foothold for the devil. Have you ever Am I just the only one? Have you ever experienced that where something happens? Like I, I've had that happen where someone wronged me and I'm like journaling about it and I'm just writing and I'm like, rrr, 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 and like the longer I journal, the more I would dig my pen into the thing. And I'm just like brewing and, and simmering and stewing over this. And it became like a foothold. And I couldn't move forward with life. It's a big deal. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says that if you're in a healthy, loving relationship, it says you don't, you don't keep a record like that because it gives a, a foothold. So Jesus would say, when someone sins against you, when they've wronged you, you go to them directly. You, and, and the point with that is to fill that gap with the right information. Hey, I, I know you said you would be there to help me move. You said you'd be there at nine. You never showed up. I was really relying on you. What, what happened? What happened? And in my mind, I'm thinking they probably went out and just went to a movie because they don't care about me. And, and now I'm going to give them the opportunity to fill that gap. And it might be something like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I, I slept in. I didn't mean to. I was up all night with a crying baby or my car wouldn't start and my phone was dead or, or even, I just got to own that. I'm so sorry. And, and you give them the opportunity to speak into what has happened. It's difficult to do, but listen, Jesus would say it's unbelievably important. We are to go. And that would be, take us on to the second thing that we have to do is that we have, we should, we should go alone. We should go alone, he says. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. I go alone, and the reason for that is I want to keep the circle very, very small. I want to keep it stayed just between the two of us here. I, I got to recognize that there's a very strong temptation when someone wrongs us that we want to broaden the circle. Why? Because misery loves company. And we want to talk to our mom. We want to talk to our neighbor. We want to talk to our friend about this person who did this thing to me. And I just want to tell them and I'm going to build consensus about how right we are and how wrong they are. We have a tendency to do that. That's our human nature. And we'll say things like, well, I just need to get some advice. You know, I just need some counsel. There's a place for a counsel and for godly advice. But here's what godly advice will tell you. Number one, you take your request before God. Philippians tells us, says, don't be anxious about anything, but everything with prayer and supplication, present your requests before God and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in the Lord Jesus Christ. So someone would say, you know what? This is underutilized, but you need to get, hit your knees before God and say, God, I feel so disrespected right now. I, so, I feel so dishonored. I feel lied to right now. And you go to him first. A godly counselor will also say, hey, you need to go directly to that person that you have an offense with. I've told this story before because it had such an impact on me. But early on in ministry, I graduated from music school. And I went to this, it was a big church. 
a lot of suits and ties in, in Oregon, and I came through the guitar playing drummer who was going to take this church out of more of a traditional con like mindset into a contemporary mindset, away from the organ and towards drums and guitar. All right? Now, at that point in time, this was a very contentious thing. And I was leading this choir, and, and, and it was 80 people, and I had an orchestra and all these bands and stuff. I was like 23, 24, and I had a friend, and his name was Howard. And Howard was brilliant. He taught doctoral students. We do lunch and breakfast twice a week. I spent so much time with him as a dear friend. But Howard was the organist. He should have been my arch enemy, right? You know? But we were great friends. Well, there was one lady, she was in the choir, her name was Judy, and she reminds me a lot of the kangaroo from Horton Hears Her Who, played by Carol Burnett. If you know that, that was her personality, okay? It just grated me, and she would scowl at me all the time. She had like a beehive hairdo. I mean, it was just the picture. She did not like me. So when she and Howard happened to be on the checkout line at Taco Bell, she went to Howard and said, can't you believe the stuff that Scott's doing and blah, 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 blah. She didn't know that Howard was my good friend. She just figured this was the organ player, and here's my ear that's going to bend to my, my complaints, right? And this is what Howard did. Howard said, Judy, I can tell you have a problem with Scott. You need to go to him, and I'm going to check back with you in five days to make sure you had done it. And Howard told me this happened afterwards, and I was like, oh, my jaw was to the ground. Like, I can't believe. I said, and she came to me, and we reconciled, and we dealt with it, and it wasn't a problem ever again. That's what godly advice does. Jesus would say that when you go, you go alone. You go in love is the next thing. You go in love. Last part of verse 15, he says, if they listen to you, you've won, you've won them over. You've brought them back in. It's, it's healthy. It's a good thing. Jesus would say, if you're going to approach somebody, your motivation needs to be in check. In other words, you're not going to try to meet with them to convince them how wrong they are and how right you are. You're not going to try to rub their nose in it or like tighten the screws on them so they feel the pain that you have felt. Instead, we need to go in love. I, I recently heard a definition of love that was just so helpful for me. Because what is, you know, what is love? Lots of stuff. What is love? You know, there's a lot. What is, but the definition was it's a warm regard. A warm regard for someone. That if you're going to go one-on-one -on -one and deal with an issue, you have to check your own heart. A am, I going, am I going to like attack them? Am I going defensively? Or do I have a warm regard for this other person? The way that I wrote this is there's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Is that am I trying to get back at them? Or am I trying to get back to them? There's a difference between them. If I'm trying to get back at them, I want them to feel pain. If I'm trying to get back to them, I'm trying to get back to relationship. I want to be in a healthy place with them. Why is it, why is it when we've been hurt, why is it there's this human response that I want them to feel the same way that they've hurt me? Because I want justice. Look, Jesus would stare at the, at the Pharisees and he would say, listen, understand what I mean by this, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He says it over and over again, that the heart of God is mercy towards one another. It's his heart towards you, that he would have mercy on you. Have that towards someone else. Don't be the person that says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring my spear and I'm gonna have at it with them. Jesus would plead with us. 
have warm regard to them. Get back to them, not get back at them. And so one of the litmus tests that we have to be able to answer is when I think about our broken relationship, not my wound, does that break my heart? When I think about this relationship that used to be warm regard for one another, now we're at odds. Am I more concerned about that relational dynamic or am I more concerned about justice in my wound? In other words, if at the end of this conversation, if our relationship isn't healed, would that make me sad? Because if I can't say yes to this, man, I've got to wrangle with my heart and I've got to show up with tears in my eyes that says, I care more about the fact that this sweet thing that we used to have where we cared for one another, that that's broken because of this. And I I care more that we're in a bad place than I am about, well, you need to know about how wrong you are and how right I am. I remember back in that chapter of my life where I was leading this big choir and, and, and I really wanted it to be healthy. I wanted it to grow. I wanted it to be good, all that kind of stuff. And so with the choir would be singing and everyone was doing the shuffle, <laughs> right? Da, 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 da. right? They're all doing that and I look across 80 faces and there'd be one person with like resting grouch face, right? I'm like, hey guys, look great. Smile, Connie. That offended her deeply. It offended her real deeply. I was just doing my job. Like, smile. (laughs) Don't look like you're angry to worship the Lord, right? And I offended her deeply, and I remember when it came back around that that happened, I was like, but I am right. I didn't do anything wrong. And I was more concerned with being right than I was concerned with being loving towards her. I was more concerned in saying, I didn't do anything wrong than I was in saying, oh, Connie, I really care about you. I'm so sorry you experienced it that way. I, 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 won't, I won't call you out like that. I didn't mean to embarrass you. Listen, some of us, when we have these conflicts with our spouses, we are so concerned with being right. And I'm pleading with you because I've sat there at these kinds of conflicts and I'm saying, hey, congratulations, you're right, but you've lost your spouse. Congratulations, you're, you're right, but your kids don't want to have anything to do with you because you won't soften your heart. We have to care more about getting back to them than getting back at them. Now listen, when we go, when we go alone, when we go in love, most of the time, if we do that, think about it, it's going to be effective. Most of the time that's going to work. And we're going to experience restoration. And I can think back to times in my life when people have done that with me. In the last two weeks, this has happened with me, And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that there have been people that love me enough to have fierce conversations to say, hey, Scott, this is this thing that happened and this is how it felt when you did that and gave me a chance to fill in the gap about what happened or apologize for it. I'm so grateful for two counts. Number one, because it helps me be more self-aware about how other people experience me. And now I can say, you know, I don't want other people to feel that way. So this is really helpful feedback as I move forward in my life. I don't want to be defined by how this affects other people and and I know that about me and I don't want that to be true but number two I'm so grateful because it restored the relationship and it's a beautiful thing and it's a tremendous gift and a vast majority of the time the way that Jesus lays this out when we follow it it's going to be effective but then you ask the question okay what about when it doesn't well Jesus lays out the path for us specifically for those that are Christ followers he says this he says if they will not listen 
take one or two others along so that every matter might be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So if I've done all those things, I'm following, following Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to do what he's asked me to do here, and we're seeking to forgive from the heart, and I'm not seeking to get back at them, but I'm seeking to get back to them. We, we would say, you know what, you're doing what Jesus has told us to do, but there might be times where you say, I need help. I need help. We can't see eye to eye. I need someone that can mediate things. I need someone that can help us keep our weapons off the table and our shields down. You've already tried one-on-one. -on -one. You couldn't get anywhere. You need help. We would say, hey, we would encourage you to bring your life group leader, bring an elder with you, bring someone that's godly and trustworthy along with you to help do this. This is where it gets really hard, and, and it seldom happens, but when you've gone by yourself, you've gone in love, and, and people haven't responded with humility, and so now other people have, have gotten involved, and their heart is still hard. Jesus said, treat them as you would a, a pagan or a tax collector. Which, by the way, how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? With love and with care, yeah. He didn't disrespect them, he didn't hate them, but he didn't trust them either. So there's a space where you say, I'm going to choose to forgive you. I'm not going to hold this against you. I've sought to reconcile with you. I've asked to sit down, and you either won't soften your heart or you won't do that with me. I can't, I can't entrust myself to you. And can I tell you, like we, we did this series five years ago, and one of the truths I think that is so helpful as people think about forgiveness, because this always brings up stories of, well, what about this? And what's so helpful for me is I had, a, I had an older pastor say, you know, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. You can choose to forgive somebody. You need to choose to forgive somebody. Jesus makes that very clear. Trust is earned. And, and you want the person to earn it back. But I, if I've forgiven them and they're not coming back to the table and they have no warm regard, Jesus can say, hey, you can step forward in life this is what Paul says. Paul says in Romans 12, if you've done all that work, you've done all that you can do, you've tried to get back to them, not get back at them, you've chosen to forgive them. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, have you done everything you can do to live at peace with this person? You live at peace with everyone. If I've done all that Jesus has laid out, I've gone to them, here's what I can do. Last thing is I can let it go. I can let it go. I can stand with peace before God. God, I've done everything I can do. And I'm going to let it go. Because listen, some of you have people in your lives that this needed to happen with, and they're not around anymore. They've moved away. They won't talk to you. They're not, they've died. They're not around anymore. And you can't reconcile with them. You want to be at the place where you said, I have done everything I can do to live at peace with this person, and now I'm going to let it go. This is how it tends to work for me as we talk about this, as someone else is presenting this to me. All of a sudden, as we're talking about forgiveness, there's a name or there's a face that pops into your head. Someone that you're thinking about, and you used to have warm regard, but something happened, and that's broken. And now they walk into the room, and you get an odd feeling, and it just feels like there's a disconnection there. I, I, I want to tell you that as that name pops into your head, I want to tell you what that is. 
That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's God reminding you that this is a relationship that you need to deal with. This is God communicating to you. And so I just want to ask you to do something here this weekend. That as that name, as those couple of names pops into your head, I just want you to write them down. Just write them down. Write them down on a note. Write them down the margins of your Bible. Write them down on the connection card if you want. And this is what you're doing. You're saying, God, I'm admitting to you, and I'm being honest with myself. I'm being vulnerable to say, hey, this is a relationship that's been severed, and I, I think, you're, I think you're, you're, you're labeling that one. You're calling that one out. Guys, listen, we're, we're going to have to learn how to do this if we're going to live with other human beings and not lose our minds. Listen, we're going to have to learn to do this if we're going to be the Church of Christ here at 131 9th Avenue in Brunswick, Maryland. Why? Because we're human beings. I'm going to offend you. You're going to offend me. We're going to have conflict. And we don't want to let the devil have any foothold in our church. So we have to be willing to step into these things. We have to be willing to deal with the hurt. I want to I think a little bit about what Jesus did for us in this regard. Think about this. He led the way. Jesus would look down from heaven, and he would look at our offenses towards a holy and righteous God, and the Bible would say that we were enemies with God, that while we were still in, our, in sin, when we were denying him, when we were rebelling against him, because he doesn't force himself upon us, while we were still enemies, God loved us, and Jesus was the one that said, I will go. I will go alone, and I will go in love, and I will make the first move. Think about what God didn't do. God didn't just sit there and let it fester. He didn't say, hey, angels, come here. I want to let you know how horrible these human beings are, and look at what Shelley did. I can't believe what Steve did. This is the worst thing on the planet. He didn't do that. What did he do? Jesus came. He came alone, and he came in love. And he did this because there were two parties that needed to be reconciled. This is how John chapter 3 says, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. What is the heart and the mind of God? If you don't know, listen, the heart and the mind of God is love. It's love. You may not know it that way, but God so loved that he sent his only son. That whoever would believe, not whoever would achieve, but whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish. And a relationship separated from God would have eternal life. Now listen to this. For God didn't send his son to condemn the world. That's not the heart of God. But to save the world through him. Jesus came. He came alone. He came in love. He came with a sense of urgency. And listen, if you don't know that this morning, that's where it starts. That's where it starts for you. Even have experienced that yet. If you haven't said yes to the forgiveness that Jesus offered me, I'm not going to know how to extend forgiveness to people as we go deeper and deeper into these layers. It has to inform us at that level. That's the call upon you. But then there are those of you here this weekend where that face pops to your mind and you're like, this is, this is not an okay relationship and the Holy Spirit has done something in your heart. This is what is in front of you is that there's a call in your life for obedience. Obedience would look like you reaching out to them and you saying, hey, let's do coffee. 
You know, Jesus said, if, if you're getting ready to go to church and you're getting ready to go worship God and bring an offering before him and you remember that there's an offense between you and your brother, it cares. Jesus cared so much. He said, don't even show up until you make it right with that person. Don't, don't profess to worship me, but you're harboring bitterness in your heart. That's how much Jesus cares about it. So obedience for you might be like, hey, let's do coffee. I just want to talk about something. And you running in that direction. Now listen, it's going to feel scary, but the spirit of God is in you if you're a Christ follower and you've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of self-control. And then some of you, this is the position that you might be in this week where someone comes to you, like my friend Howard, and someone starts saying, can you believe, can you believe what this person did to me? And you're going to say, sounds like you have a problem with this person. You need to go talk to them directly. I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to check in with you in four days to make sure that you've done that. And watch their jaw drop. And you know what? They're probably not going to come to you anymore. It's possible some of you are like, why does everyone come to me with their gripes? Because you're a listening ear. And because misery loves company. And you add to the misery, but oh yeah, you're so right and they're so right. What if you changed your, your script? What if you said, sounds like you have a problem. Go check in with them and I'm going to check in with you. Man, that will change everything in the life of that person. And here's what you're doing. You're giving them freedom from bitterness. It's the most loving thing you can do for them. And then for those of you that haven't said yes to Jesus, that's what you're up against here. To receive the forgiveness that he has to offer. Let me pray with you. And then we're going to respond with the worship song that just says, God, be glorified in me. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, let's just go to the Lord as we kind of create some space for him to do business here with us. God, thank you for your word. Thanks that Jesus saw the heart of humanity and recognizes that we're going to have conflict big time. And that he provided a way for us to step forward in health and in wellness. God, it is scary. It's the hardest work, but your spirit empowers us to do that. So God, give us the boldness, the vulnerability to move forward. God, not with a spear that's aimed at another person, not to get back at them, but to get back to them. Lord, and as you look at us, as you have said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, that then when we worship and when we raise our hands and our voices to you, that it's coming from a place of integrity in our heart where we're not divided in what we're saying versus what we're doing. I'm not presenting one thing, but harboring bitterness on the inside and being something else. Nobody wants to do that. No one wants to carry on two faces and two parts of their lives. We can't, that's too big of a burden for us. Lord, help us to be that integrated self that's healthy moving forward. God, and for those distressed marriages, family dynamics, God, would you, would you do a work, even this morning, to prepare the soil of those hearts that would receive these messages to reconcile and restore and renew? Finally, God, just thank you that you've done that work with us, that you took the first step to get back to us. Oh God, be, be magnified in us, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen.